Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dreamer Talks. My name is Abby Volkovich, and I'm your host. It is my job on this podcast to introduce you to dreamers from many different fields and walks of life. It is important to note that we can learn many things from the people we surround ourselves with. This is why I have ventured out to interview dreamers who are willing to share their journey with us. This is episode number 20 of the podcast. Not only that, but I'm happy to announce that Dreamer Talks is now associated with IDC Radio. You will now be able to stream the podcast from IDC Radio's website, as well as check out other podcasts available. Originally from France, Guillaume Bancbrandi arrived in Israel four years ago to embark on his adventure to study the coral reefs of Eilat. During his extensive research, he saw a need for change within the culture revolving plastic pollution. He's the co-founder of a nonprofit organization called WISI. They focus on educating the public and spreading awareness through beach cleanups and educational programs. Guilhem will get into WISI and his journey in coming to Israel more in depth in the episode. Enjoy. IDC Radio. 106.2 FM. Today, I'm joined with Guilhem Bonpondi. Said that right? Yeah, yeah perfect. Perfect. Okay. Guilhem is currently uh, studying in Barilan University. He is a marine biologist and uh, he's specializing right now for his PhD in coral reef in the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, so Guilhem, please tell us a little bit about, about yourself because you're also the co-founder of this amazing organization, WISI. Uh, so please tell us a little bit of what, what you've been doing here in Israel and uh, yeah, and we'll get into some questions back and forth. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, so basically, I arrived in Israel about four years ago. Um, it was kind of a, a known adventure for me. And uh, the goal for me was to really explore uh, the south of Israel and mainly the Red Sea, because uh, I've been a fan of the coral reef of the Red Sea for many years, and it was a dream of mine to come here. Um, so what I've been doing in Israel all those time was basically working on my PhD, uh, like you said, working on coral biology. <clears throat> and trying to understand um, how the coral from the Red Sea can uh, resist global warming and local pollution. Because uh, as uh, we know, global warming is a, a global threat to most ecosystems and environments around the world. And uh, it's especially um, contributing to the major decline of coral reef around the world, especially in the Great Barrier Reef or in the Caribbean. But uh, what we've been seeing recently is that in the Red Sea, the corals are very resistant. So it's very um, important to study them as they are a potential source of hope for the future of the reef. So that's really what drawn me uh, to come to the Red Sea. And um, the thing is, beside this amazing reef, we ended up seeing a lot of trash and misbehavior around such a treasure, you know, whether it's from the Israeli side in the lot, or in Jordan as well, in Aqaba, or in Egypt, uh, basically any neighbor around the Gulf of Aqaba, which is located in the northern part of the Red Sea. And uh, what we saw is that um, it was mainly due to a lack of knowledge, uh, a lack of awareness about how critical it is to protect the reef and how sensitive corals are as a species. Um, And so we decided to do something about it. 
Um, so as uh, researchers, we own this knowledge that we develop through the research and we decided to try to uh, make it uh, uh, accessible to the large public by creating this organization called WISI, which is based in France, but works internationally. And the goal is really to take this knowledge, to make it understandable and accessible to the large public through lots of platforms, lots of languages, and the goal being especially to promote the regional collaboration between the neighboring countries of the Red Sea to kind of build a community of people who care about the sea and wants to protect it. That's incredible. And, uh, you know, you're mentioning different activities and different uh, educational projects. And we actually just finished up on Friday. It was a nationwide cleanup, mm -hmm. uh, which you guys uh, took part in coordinating here in Eilat and around the country. Uh, what other sort of activities can maybe the listeners right now who are interested in, you know, doing something about it, just like you were when you first started Weezy, what could they right now, even while they're listening to the episode, take action and maybe also make that change and get us closer to that dream of, you know, living in a eco, more eco-friendly mm -hmm. world and uh, help with a global climate change? What can someone actually do? So basically, it doesn't take much to do something for the environment. Every little step, every little action um, you can do contributes a lot to, you know, adding a stone to the protection of the environment. Uh, what we started to do back then was simply to do cleanups because this is what brings the community together. And um, you see the impact uh, immediately. The thing is, uh, from one day to another, unless you raise awareness, unless you educate the people, and unless you influence the decision makers, the politicians, into enforcing new laws for the environment, the effect of cleanups are not really uh, are not really uh, lasting in time. So um, more than going to the beach and cleaning, I think raising awareness is really important. So any knowledge that you might acquire about the environment, you can share it with your friends, share it with your family, try to share the passion and the love you have for the environment whenever you go diving um, or whenever you go to the environment, to nature, bring back a piece of this passion and share it with the people that you uh, that are around you and also in your everyday life, you know, try to reduce the use of single use plastic, which we don't need. Uh, try to promote um, reusable items. Um, try to reduce as well meat consumption, for example. Uh, use your car as less as possible. Every small steps, you know, count. And I'm not talking about stopping uh, all those actions. I'm talking about trying to reduce it. You know, on a weekly mm -hmm. basis, monthly basis. All right, make it more of a routine for yourself. Exactly, like a step-by-step -step process, you know. Right. Because um, we need it not only for the environment, for the future generation as well, because we want them to be able to enjoy uh, this environment that we love so much. I completely agree with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so when I first saw your presentation of WeSee, you were explaining more on coral bleaching. And uh, I know you don't have the slides for the listeners to actually see, but if you could somehow give them that snippet of information of the temperature and I mean, you're, you're the expert on it, so I'll let yeah. you do all the talking um, just so they get an idea of what's really going on and why here in the Red Sea it's it's different. Uh, and then they get an idea and then maybe the, this can be some of the knowledge that they can share sure. with their friends. Sure. So as you may know, uh, we are going through a major environmental crisis uh, as, uh, as we speak. 
mainly linked to the uh, huge uh, amount of emission of carbon dioxide, CO2, uh, gas to the atmosphere, uh, which is contributing to uh, increasing massively the temperature of the Earth. Um, and that links as well to uh, the increase of temperature of the oceans and by its dissolution in the water, the acidification of the ocean. So the, the pH uh, of the ocean is going down, it's becoming more acidic. Um, those two factors, uh, um, global warming and ocean acidification, have a lot of impact on many organisms living in the ocean, which are very sensitive to their quality um, and the character characteristics of their environment, as we are as humans when you know it gets warmer or colder and so on. One uh, organism, especially, uh, is coral. Coral, uh, it's very important to understand that those are animals. We're not talking about plants, we're not talking about rocks, but those are living animals. Right, it's a common misconception. <laughs> exactly, totally. And it's very important to stress it out and to say again that they are animals and um, they uh, eat, they reproduce, um, they grow. Um, and those animals are very special because they host in their tissue some algaes, microalgaes, that perform uh, the same functions at, as a green plant, as a tree would do. Which means that they are able to use the sun energy to uh, create energy that is available for the coral. So it's called the symbiosis between the coral host and the microalgae. And together, by sharing this uh, energy, they are able to grow. And by growing, I mean that the coral is able to um, create a skeleton, a hard skeleton, which will basically be the base of the reef ecosystem, the hard base of the reef. And that's, for example, what you see in the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, where you have more than 2,000 kilometers long of hard substrate offshore, which creates a, a barrier called the Barrier Reef. Um, and this has a lot, a lot of implication and um, provides a lot of services as well for humans as uh, protection for uh, currents, for wave actions, so protection of the shores from erosion, for example. And all those reefs are uh, a source of light, uh, of life as they host more than 25% of the marine biodiversity. They are a source of ph uh, pharmaceutical. Um, they are uh, contributing to helping juvenile fish uh, to uh, to grow and develop and so on. Um, recently, as I was saying, as the environment of those organisms is becoming more acidic and warmer, we are seeing a phenomenon uh, where the corals are becoming pale, white, and then subsequently they die as the temperature keeps warming. And that's that phenomenon can happen within weeks. For example, we've seen in 2016, 17, and uh, recently 2020, in the Great Barrier Reef, uh, kilometers uh, of coral reef disappearing within days. And this phenomenon, where the corals are becoming white, is called bleaching, like you mentioned. And so what's happening? Uh, basically, the symbiosis between the algae and the coral hosts is very dynamic, okay? It's not uh, taken for granted that the algae is staying with the coral, and it all depends on how well the algae perform for the coral. And if the, tem the temperature uh, and basically the conditions of the environment around the coral are changing and not becoming so hospitable for uh, the symbiosis, the symbiosis can stop. And usually what happens is that the algae is being kicked out of the coral. 
is leaving the coral, okay? But as I was saying, the algae is providing the coral with a lot of energy that it converts from the sun waves as uh, green plants are doing, okay? Mm -hmm. Through a process called photosynthesis, okay? Basically taking up carbon dioxide, releasing oxygen, and creating energy available for the coral. That in itself also, in a way, affects you know the storing of the carbon within the algae. So it not only helps the corals, but it helps exactly the exactly the way for major uh, you know um, sink of carbon mm -hmm. uh, globally. Um, interestingly, the algae is contributing to up to ninety five percent of the energy uh, intake or resource of the coral which means that 95% of the energy available for the coral is coming exclusively from this symbiosis. So you understand that if the algae is leaving the host, the coral, the animal is left with very, very little energy to survive. Mm -hmm. And as the environment is changing, it needs this energy to deal with the stress as we humans have to uh, use a lot of energy to deal with an infection or a disease. It's the same for the animal, the same for the coral. And usually, if the, uh, the algae is gone for too long and the conditions are not going back to normal, the coral would just starve to death. To death. Um, and more than that, uh, just to explain why we call it bleaching or paling or whitening, those are the different terms that exist. Uh, the algae, they perform photosynthesis, right? And they do it because they have those pigments, such as chlorophyll, the same as we have in green plants, and those pigments bear, you know, the colors, basically. And the coral usually don't have much color. They can also have some pigments, but for the sake of the explanation, let's say that most of them don't show any colors. And they just show a transparent tissue, okay, skin, if you want, that is right above a very white skeleton, okay? Which means that when the algae is leaving, technically the color is leaving with them, which leaves a transparent tissue above a white skeleton. And that's what we see. We just see white coral. And that's why we say that there is a bleaching or a whitening event. And such event can be reversible. If the conditions are going back to normal, then the coral can take back those algaes and keep on growing and do um, and, and, and be well. However, usually the warming is extending uh, uh, over two weeks or more in some cases. And what we see is the corals are starving to death and then are uh, dying. And then what you have is a collapse of the reef ecosystem. And usually the corals get then covered by microalgae, which are different, like brown algae, very thick. And they tend to asphyxiate the whole reef. And you have a transition between a coral-dominated ecosystem to an algae-dominated ecosystem, which doesn't provide the same functions anymore, uh, doesn't host the fish, etc. So this is what's happening globally. Uh, the Grey Barrier Reef in Australia has been severely impacted with more than 60% of the reef already gone. Same in the Caribbean. Uh, so a major, major decline of the reef for a while. And uh, the uh, International Panel of Climate actually predicts that an increase of 1.5 degrees above the summer maximum uh, by 2050 would lead to 90% decline of the reef for a while, while 2 degrees above the summer maximum would lead to 99% decline of the reef one and that's where we are going like very fast so guys just to clarify that's two degrees of the average temperature of the year going up just two degrees will cause that 99 percent, and that's crazy 
are we doomed? Like from what I, <laughs> what I hear of climate change, uh, what's, I mean, obviously the plastic reduction and all the things you mentioned that we can do, what's the game plan kind of within the world that is attacking this issue? So, yeah. So first of all, just to let you know, we are about one degrees already above the average. So the, the strategy of uh, all those uh, uh, COP21 and so on uh, is to limit their increase of temperature by 1.5 or 2 degrees. So the goal is already um, exceeding the prediction of those uh, climate panels. So in a way, yes, I think we are doomed. Um, what it would take to slow down the whole machine would be to stop from one day to another completely the emissions of carbon dioxide. To reduce all the industries that depend on oil uh, and uh, crude oil um, for their functioning or calls. So basically stopping all industries that uh, that are uh, producing a lot, that have a very high carbon footprint from one day to another. And even doing so, it would take uh, decades before their, um, the machine starts stopping, reducing and slowing down. Okay. So whatever we do, unless we do it at a massive scale and immediately, there is no way to slow down the process of the global warming. So this is a fact, we know it. Um, now what we can do is try to attenuate the effect locally in places where we know the ecosystem was slightly more resistant, slightly more tolerant to the warming. And that's why it's very important that research scientists are trying to find those places where we find some organism which, are, which can really take and cope with the higher temperature. And um, inform the decision makers and the local uh, um, communities that we need to protect those environments because they're special, because they are a source of hope for the future. And uh, hoping that, you know, in the future, we can potentially use them to save to uh, expand, the game, yeah. to expand. And this is actually what's happening here in the Red Sea. So in 2013, there was a paper published by Professor Maus Fine that uh, uh, made an hypothesis a theory called the coal refuge theory of the Red Sea. And it was based on observations that uh, despite the fact that the Red Sea was warming at very high uh, rates, even more than uh, what we have in the Great Barrier Reef, uh, there was no bleaching events in the north of the Red Sea. Um, while in the south of the Red Sea, which is warmer, we had those uh, those bleaching events. And that's interesting because based on models and prediction that uh, scientists uh, in coral biology made, we should have had many, many bleaching events in the north of the Red Sea, in the Gulf of Aqaba. But yet, nothing has been observed so far, ever. So there was this kind of refute theory that was made uh, that was saying that, okay, maybe the corals here in the northern part of the Red Sea are very resistant. And since 2013, it has been tested experimentally in our uh, laboratory mainly, and also in Kaust in Saudi Arabia, where calls have been taken from the reef, exposed to very high temperatures. And we saw by testing their physiology and doing like a health checkup, for example, we saw that they were performing very well to temperatures up to plus 10 degrees above their maximum, which is insane. When you know that the calls from the Greber Reef can take only one degree above their maximum. So knowing that, we know that we have extremely resistant coral. I would even say resilient because not only can they resist high temperatures, but they can also recover from stress events. Mm -hmm. So resilience being the combination of resistance and recovery ability. 
<clears throat> and this is basically a source of hope for the future because we know that here in the Northern Red Sea, we have this, um, this coral reef, which will survive uh, global warming and ocean acidification for the next decade, no problem, and even a century. Um, the problem, though, is the fact that the shoreline of the Red Sea is developing very fast. We have lots of population living by the shore, by the coastline, and um, you know, uh, developing the major cities, bringing more and more activities, which uh, or threatening basically the reef ecosystem because on the contrary to what we have in the Great Barrier Reef, which is a reef, <clears throat> a barrier reef far from the shore, so offshore, in the Red Sea, most of the reefs are called fringing reef, which means that they are basically attached to the shore. Mm -hmm. That's what we have here in Elat, in the south of Israel, where you can basically access the reef by just walking to the water, right? Uh, which means that any pollution that reaches the, the, the water, the sea, coming from simple runoffs from the from the city is basically gonna uh, go straight into the corals and harm them and the idea that we are now developing in our lab is to see how those local land-based but also sea-based pollutions can uh, impact the resistance of the reef to global warming and it does <laughs> right so this is definitely expansion is definitely not helping mm -hmm. um well you know, this knowledge, I really hope that people who are listening uh, don't just, you know, go one ear and out the other. It's it's information that as a whole, as a people, we can really bring it to light and maybe uh, make a bigger impact. Like you said, right now, the main thing that you're focusing on is these individual hubs. But I guess the more people actually are aware and not just kind of brushing it off, I, what I always hear, you know, Back when I was growing up, and, and even now, people talk about global warming, and oh, that's a hoax, it's not a real thing, and people kind of just brush it off. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's very important, and you know, I really appreciate it. It's why I connected with Weezy uh, so much, because it was this punch of knowledge. And uh, so yeah, you just mentioned the, the general bleaching for the listeners. What other information, uh, I'm assuming, on the website, if they go on wec.com, .org, uh, .org, yeah. .org uh, you guys can find a lot more information, uh, not just on bleaching, but on other topics, I assume. Mm -hmm. And please share with your friends, write up a little post that's more personal and make it actually as impactful as you can so we can actually spread these facts. Uh, cool. So covered the knowledge side of uh, we see and, and what we're doing here. I want to actually go back to your personal story on how you got into biology and marine mm -hmm. biology specifically. You're, you're originally from France. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so if you can maybe talk to that of how it all kind of began your, yeah, yeah, your sure. journey to get to where you are now running we see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, like you say, I'm from France. Uh, if you couldn't tell with my accent. <laughs> Uh, originally from the Alps, so from the mountain regions where uh, we see more snow than uh, reefs, or actually, uh, you know, very old reef from uh, uh, the old uh, areas. Um, and basically, as a kid, I grew up um, reading and uh, watching videos of uh, Cousteau, of uh, Jean-Jacques Cousteau, who was a um, French commander in the army uh, in the 50s, but uh, who became uh, an explorer of the seas uh, 
and uh, contributed to increasing greatly the knowledge of the uh, marine world um, uh, by just, you know, inventing uh, new machines, uh, diving gear, submarines to go explore uh, and uh, leading to this uh, beautiful movie, uh, The World of Silence, um, uh, showing basically the, the whole underwater world. And uh, as I grew up, I was really hooked on this uh, on this uh, source of knowledge and on this underwater world because it was a completely different world, unknown to the public at that time, almost. And um, so I was basically I was subscribed to his uh, <laughs> to his magazine, and uh, I was researching a lot on you know sharks, whales, dolphins, and all these kind of things. <clears throat> and um, as my part of my family was living in Guadeloupe, a uh, French island in the Caribbean. I uh, went there when I was 10 and uh, got to do my first uh, scuba dive. And, um, you know, that was it for me. I was already hooked. I knew I was going to do marine biology. I knew I was going to study in coral reef. That was obvious. And it never left me ever since. Um, That's the pitch for anyone who's never gone scuba diving. It's, uh, it's a whole other world and you have to go scuba diving. <laughs> totally, totally. And the magic happens very quickly. So once you put your head in the water and you start breathing in the water... It's, it's a wonderful feeling. And just to give you a, a glimpse of that, uh, Guillaume, if you could share your Instagram handle, because Guillaume also does amazing underwater photography, where you guys can just see what you'd see if you go scuba diving. Yeah, so. thanks. Yeah, you can uh, check out my Instagram at GuillaumeBP. Uh, and yeah, indeed, lots of pictures from the Red Sea. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, after this experience of diving in, in this uh, um, Caribbean place, Went back to you know uh, France in uh, in the city of Lyon, uh, which is not really much connected to the sea. We do have a small aquarium over there, but you know it's more about rivers and lakes, uh, so not much my cup of tea. But uh, you know I just studied uh, all those years, keeping in mind that my overall goal was to go back to the reef, and I managed to do so uh, for my master degree only. So it was way later uh, in. The meantime, I managed to, you know, acquire some certification for diving. Uh, but only in the master degree, I ended up going to uh, do a collaboration in the U.S. in Florida uh, in the Moat Marine Laboratory, which is located in Sarasota, which is on the west coast of Florida. And over there, I was working on um, coral microbiology, so looking at the bacteria, uh, bacterial communities of corals, and. Um, you know, ended up going to various places over there, to the Florida Keys, to the U.S. Virgin Islands, and just, you know, it, all those uh, adventures just made me, um, like, very confident that I made the right decision and that that was uh, the path for me. Um, but then, uh, after my stay in the U.S., I ended up being uh, selected, like, to go to an international conference for Coral Reef that took place in Hawaii back then. And there, I met uh, my fellow colleagues right now uh, from the Israel Institute, uh, where I'm working right now, which is called the Inter-University Institute for Marine Sciences in Elat. And I just decided to give it a try. From my uh, French perspective in the Alps, I had no idea what I was getting into. I wasn't really, you know, knowledgeable about what was going on in Israel about the city of Elat and the situation with the you corals over there. no connection to Israel prior to this? Uh, no connection. I mean, you're not Jewish, what you, so you're exactly. not... Yeah, yeah. No connection beside what you sadly hear in the news, which is mm -hmm. not super uh, 
uh, exciting besides, you know, uh, tensions and wars and these kind of things. So for me, I was going to Israel uh, fully unbiased and not really knowing what I was gonna uh, gonna see. Uh, one goal in mind to be in the Red Sea. And uh, when I arrived uh, to Tel Aviv and then going straight to Elat, I was shocked. I was shocked in a very good way. I was uh, very impressed by their fact that yeah, all it takes is basically to walk into the water and you're on a beautiful coral reef, very rich, very healthy, um, crystal clear water. Um, you see wonderful animals from turtle to to eagle rays, uh, whale sharks, and all these kind of uh, big animals. Um, and it took me only two weeks before I turned this uh, master project into a PhD, signed all the contract and decided to stay in Israel for uh, almost four years now. Um, and yeah, again, it's not a decision that I regret. Uh, loved it uh, every moment that I'm here. Uh, the nature here is absolutely wonderful. Again, just uh, imagine you have those beautiful mountains from the desert uh, just falling into a beautiful coral reef. So it, it brings back my uh, my passions, which are the mountain and uh, the coral reef. And the fact that you are so close to all those countries, beautiful countries as Jordan, Egypt, and you can access them and enjoy their diving sites as well, which are wonderful, is for me priceless. Incredible. Yeah, I think that's a, you had a very unique journey, I would say, mm -hmm. in the sense that you knew what you wanted from a very young age. Yeah. Uh, you know, and not everyone really has that. Yeah, no, it was through. very lucky for sure. Right. Uh, cool. So for WeSee, uh, you've dedicated all this time and research for uh really doing that research and developing possible solutions where we can help um i think this is for me <clears throat> a call to action for the listeners to either get in touch with you somehow through mm -hmm. links that are linked on the on the podcast if they would want to help and if they would want to maybe open up a branch somewhere else in the world or whatever it may be because I think as a whole, you know, we have to work as a team mm -hmm. and you're doing the main, your, your main schedule nowadays is doing the research mm -hmm. and doing, compiling all the different possibilities. So I think the more, I, I don't want to speak for you, but uh, like I personally, uh, it's a project that's in the works. We want to now do a 360 experience. Mm -hmm. for people to be educated through this immersive environment. Uh, so if any listener has other ideas of possible things that could be done, uh, I don't want to speak for Guillaume, he can uh, attest to this being correct. Yeah. The more, the merrier. And if you guys have ideas, message Guillaume either on Instagram or Facebook, all the links that I'll mm -hmm. have below in the podcast. Yep. Uh, so incredible. Um, one last thing before we we part the podcast since this is a station for dreamers to really explore different ideas and new possibilities what would you say to someone who is lost in a sense and doesn't necessarily know the same way you did when you were 10 and did that dive the direction they're going and is kind of you know floating in the abyss yeah um, trust me, even though I knew what I was uh, going for, 
I had those moments of, uh, you know, doubt where I wasn't sure that the path I chose to reach my goal was the right one. And uh, it happens to a lot of people. So first of all, if you are in this situation and you don't know what you're going for or doing, it's okay, don't worry, you're not alone. Uh, I think it's important to take your time. Um, one thing that I regret, I think, was uh, rushing, ru rushing into the studies and just going for uh, those schools because they are supposed to be the best and just rushing, rushing without really asking myself the right questions. Okay, is it actually good for what I want to do or not? Um, so don't be afraid of to take, you know, your time uh, to try and fail. It's part of the process. Uh, try to try as many options as possible because every um, single uh, uh, new experience can actually contribute to giving you a new uh, view on uh, the topic that you want to you know, achieve. And that's very important. And try to keep an open mind as well. Just because you want to do one thing one way doesn't mean that there is not another way or option for you which might be, you know, uh, fitting you better. So it's important to keep an open mind for this, uh, for this purpose. For me, if I would have just stick to what I wanted to do before, I would have tried to do only, you know, uh, to work on whales or something like that. But I'm so much more grateful that I actually gave a chance to uh, call microbiology at, at first, which is very much not being on the reef, but very much being in a lab, working with gloves, pipettes, tubes, and all these kind of things, because it led me to where I am right now. So take your time, keep an open mind, Failure is part of the process and just uh, have faith. Incredible. And you mentioned to try a lot of different things. Uh, you also surprised me with the fact that you're training for an Ironman and that you're also an avid climber. So where do these other hobbies uh, that could potentially one day become something else? You know, how did you uh, first branch off into those uh, as exploration? So yeah, it's it's part of I, I guess who I am. Like I've been always a fan of you know trying to um, reach my limits, whether it's in sports, whether it's in uh, work, in music, uh, whatever. I really like to play in this zone, which is you know slightly outside of the comfort zone, and see how like what's the margin that you can uh, improve on or work on. So working for an Ironman or working for uh, climbing or music or whatever projects, um, it's always an opportunity for me to get to know myself a little bit better and uh, push me, you know, to improve and to, um, I guess, uh, yeah, uh, expand new horizons. Um, and I think trying to get yourself outside of your comfort zone is really important because that's uh, what makes you, I believe, um, you know, more confident in the world, uh, you gain so much more, uh, many more um, uh, tools to tackle any project that you want, uh, basically become better. And I, I love, you know, being in those situations where I'm not comfortable at all, but with experience, you just gain their, their, the knowledge and the attitude to be okay. You know, and that's, I think, important, especially in a world uh, we live in now with so many challenges, so many um, hard moments that you need to cope with. 
So yeah, definitely something that can help many people uh, in the everyday life. Yeah, no, if I, if I can also add to that, I think thinking back to when I was a child, let's say, and for me, one of the big things that was like a, in on air quotes, I would say that was like crazy feat for me was to actually join the army. Because when I was a kid, I would see these soldiers like, whoa, this is mm -hmm. crazy. Like you see, you know, maybe for you doing an Ironman, I mean, right now you're training for it and, you, you know, you're or, or climbing. When you're a kid, you, you see these big, incredible things. I think for me, it's also a matter of becoming the person that you once Mm -hmm. idolized or, or thought was super cool you know and there's yeah. actually a path to getting there so even right now if i decide that i don't know i want to fly there's a path to becoming that first you know your first trial flight and then mm -hmm. on and on yeah, yeah so absolutely. i think it's important to kind of have that patience of mapping it exactly, out exactly yeah, yeah it's yeah. not a straight like jump to that spot yeah, yeah, and I think, like I was saying before, um, failure is part of the process, it's part of the path. And in a way, you need to embrace failure and pain um, and turn it into um, power, basically. Right. Because only when you understand that it's part of the process and that you're learning from every bad experience, you use it for your advantage and you become better. Um, That's the scientific method right there, right? Exactly. That's how we do in science, you know, like if I had succeeded in every experiment I've conducted, I would, you know, I would have published many, many papers, but it's part of the process. You know, you fail, you learn from the failure, you start again. And uh, that's what I love about it. And that's why I'm studying in a way uh, calls resilience, because I love this resilience idea that you can resist up to a point, but at some point you crash. But as long as you recover from it, you learn from the uh, failure, from the crash, and you do it again and you start again better, um, you're prone to succeed, you know? And that's something that apply, applies to the coral reef. That's something that applies to sports, to uh, your work life, to music, to anything in life. Um, life is very tough, um, but as long as you learn from your uh, experience uh, and you step back and you go back, you know, for, for it, there is nothing that can't be done. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And okay, so now for, for Guilhem, what is on the agenda for the next five years, uh, give or take, or 10, if you, yeah, yeah. If you will? I'll start with the five years, maybe that's an easier <laughs> answer to yeah. give. Uh, well, basically now I'm, I'm finishing my, uh, my PhD um, in Israel about the coral reef. So once I'll be finished with this PhD, I'll uh, move on uh, probably to a postdoctorate, which is the, uh, the normal continuation after a doctorate. Uh, so still working in research, uh, same, I think, on Coral Reef, and expanding the organization we see, because it's very important for us to, uh, you know, keep expanding, keep uh, uh, increasing the yield of the uh, the education and awareness that we are trying to put together. Uh, as we speak, we are um, doing collaboration with Jordan, with uh, Egypt, and we have other bases, you know, located in different countries in the world. So it's very important for us to uh, keep those collaborations uh, working, going, and to expand them because. Um, building those communities, you know, beyond their political barriers 
cultural uh, cultural barriers is very important. So we really want to promote this regional collaboration, and that's something that I really want to work in the future. And um, also, like you mentioned, uh, our project of working on 360 experience, uh, we have many more also uh, innovative uh, projects coming up soon. And we really invite anyone who would like to um, to join us to contribute somehow to educate the large public and to raise awareness about their uh, their um, the marine environments and the threat to it uh, to to join us. Uh, we are really welcoming any innovative ideas, um, any innovative techniques as well that can um, help or contribute to build. Um, a more effective uh, tool, you know, to reach out to the new generation, to influence better the decision makers. Um, because again, we can raise awareness and educate the large public, which will solve uh, the local uh, situation of local pollution and, uh, and local threats to the environment, to the marine environment. But at the end of the day, uh, the guys in charge of the global trend in the world or the politicians, the decision makers. And only if we stand all together with them, we can make a difference. So that's why we believe in, we see that um, only by building a community uh, of people, including you know uh, uh, pol um, polit politicians and decision makers, we can stand all together for the environment. And as much as the local people, the large public can uh, take everyday life action for the local pollution. Um, the decision makers have the last word as far as the global crisis of carbon dioxide emissions is concerned. And for that, vote, voting, you know, choosing the right leaders, the people who actually represent the right visions and ideals for the environment is crucial. And yeah, it's, it's incredible how at the end of the day, the environment, it's not a local thing you know it's it's not even just let's say israel has the wraps on it and is taking care of the coral reef here but if egypt isn't doing the same thing it, it's a matter of uh similar to corona i would say mm -hmm. how everyone the whole world kind of united to find a solution to covid uh, it's a similar thing that we need to focus on but we've kind of just left under the rug and ha haven't really addressed it for sure head on the thing uh, is, you know, you can see it as a problem, but in we see, I mean, we see it as a great opportunity to do two things. First of all, um, it's it's kind of an opportunity to bring people together. And like I was saying, beyond cultural uh, borders and political borders, and needless to, to say that, you know, uh, the region is known for the many tensions that it had um, and uh, suffered in the past between the countries. Um, but now the environment, which is shared between all those countries, which is, uh, you know, Jordan, Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and more, uh, it's a link, it's a link between all those uh, countries. And basically, they all have a common goals, because they rely so much on the health of this environment. So they all want to protect it. So it's an opportunity for, for them to work together by promoting this regional collaboration, for the environment. So it's basically the environment for peace and peace for the environment. And that's really important. And for the uh, next generation as well, um, for them to work together hands in hands, sharing their uh, cultures, 
sharing uh, their environments is a dream of mine. And I am lucky to know many great people in each of those countries who are like thinking the same and working so hard to make that happening. Uh, basically, we see we're just providing a few tools for it. Uh, but that what we do wouldn't be possible if we would not, you know, rely on so many great people, municipalities, uh, organization, businesses already working in these countries to make a change and trying to work together for it. And that's amazing. Incredible. Yeah, it's a definitely a, a dream I share as well to collaborate in this common goal. Uh, well, it's been incredible. I've spent a couple of days with you guys here. Uh, at WeC working on this project for the 360 stuff. And I'm 100% sure that we will continue to work together Absolutely. Uh, on more projects to come. Uh, so I, I really appreciate you guys having me here and also being uh, on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know if you have any last words that you'd want to say. Uh, if not, I think, uh, I think we're good here. Um, again, like for me, the, the only thing I would say is um, love the environment and learn to share this love and passion with the, you know, the people you care about and we'll be safe. <laughs> <laughs> incredible, incredible. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dreamer Talks. I'd love to have you back again next week. So make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a review of what you thought of the podcast. I'd really like the input to make this podcast as engaging and entertaining as possible. So once again, a big thank you and I'll see you next week. Thank, thank you, you for watching, watching and keep, keep on, on dreaming. dreaming. Radio. 106.2 FM. Mm -hmm.